The Gospel according to Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent another slave to them, this one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others, some they beat and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. Then they sent to him some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus. Amen. This week has been a blur of activity. It's been one of those weeks that felt like a whole month or more. Friday after our morning Bible study and making phone calls, getting schoolwork done at home, a mostly normal Friday in our house, we were taking it easy and waiting for the sun to come out after the rain. And Ivy and the kids and I took a walk up the street and around the block, and we saw the weeds growing tall in many of the neighbor's yards. They'll be burned up as the sun gets hot in a few weeks. We checked in on the people we love. We had dinner together. We watched movies. We are aware of the privilege it is to have a safe place to go, food to eat, and people to care for us. It was good to be a little bit unplugged, though, if just for a little while. The news has overwhelmed so many of us with ever-changing reports from elected officials and healthcare experts and local leaders on this rapidly spreading coronavirus. We struggle to know if we should remain open for worship here. Meanwhile, Danny and Mary and all of us were working hard to keep the place clean and safe for those of us who use the building. And I've been checking in on church members and families. And while most seem to be doing well, there are those who have opted to for the recommended social distance out of concerns for their health and the health of others. 
I hope you've heard me say, if you are experiencing any symptoms at all, stay home, stay safe. We'll be here praying for you and with you. It's also cold and flu and allergy season. It's just a mess. This is certainly a great time to reach out to one another with a phone call. Check in on each other. If you know of someone who's in need of help, call me. Call the church office. Let us know. We have people that want to help. We are here to help. It's been a little bit scary, and some are awash in panic, and they're spending time in stores hoarding supplies. It's a good thing to be prepared, but not at the expense of our neighbors. Amen? Events have been canceled. Sports played in empty stadiums and mixed messages from those in power seem to complicate things all the more. So many of us have nowhere to go and are unsure of what to do with ourselves. But the one thing we know to do is to gather and worship. One thing we do when we don't know where else to turn is to turn to the word. And you can't hoard Jesus. There's plenty for everyone, plenty to go around. So we turn to the word today and we get this difficult parable. Two weeks ago, if you were here, we heard Jesus talking about what it takes to inherit eternal life. For human beings, it is impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. Last week, we heard a story of serving and healing and blind Bartimaeus. And we're jumping ahead a little bit in the narrative today. Jesus has already entered Jerusalem. He's overturned the tables in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the elders have questioned his authority. So today we get this story that I, I want to say is about giving to God this parable of the wicked tenants. So Jesus is talking to the religious rulers in this story. These tenants were occupying a vineyard. And when the owner, this absentee owner, came to collect his share of the produce, they beat up and they killed the servants sent to gather what was rightly owed. They didn't want to give up anything to this absentee owner. In their greed, they even murdered the owner's son. Jesus tell these, tells this story to these important people, ones who knew the law, they knew the rules, they would know the reference too. And if you hear this, you'll get it. But this story of a vineyard would have reminded the people of Isaiah chapter 5, this story of a vineyard. They might as well call it the parable of Israel because everybody knew Israel was the vineyard. They are the vineyard. So I guess then it stands to reason the landowner is God. But if that's true, then we start to notice that well, the landowner is absent and keeps sending these servants to get beat up or killed. That doesn't seem really wise. Are those supposed to be the prophets? I, I guess. And then, of course, we hear that even the beloved son is killed. But how can these tenants think that that would mean they would inherit the land? That's not the way it works. And over the years, over the decades and centuries, one way that this parable has been taught leans toward an understanding that is anti-Semitic, that condemns the Jewish people for not recognizing the son, Jesus, and killing him just like these wicked tenants. Understand that is not the point of this parable. That is not what this is about. But it is a messy parable that we wrestle with, that we struggle in, and it leads to more questions than answers. So we're going we're gonna to think about this a little bit. Why would these tenants act this way in the first place? Well, I have to imagine that they were afraid. These tenants were afraid of losing what they had. They had this vineyard. They had the produce of the land. And those religious leaders in Jerusalem, they might have been afraid too. They might have been afraid 
of losing their authority. Things were a little uh, up in the air at their time too. They were locked into this system that they couldn't or wouldn't change on their own. We get afraid too. We feel that now maybe. We cling to what we know, what we can control when people are getting sick, when things are uncertain, when the times are anxious. Maybe you've been to the big stores in the last week or so. Even the supermarkets and the dollar stores are running out of stocks of needed items like hand sanitizer, bottled water, toilet paper. There's fear that this system of commerce might be delayed and as being as globally connected as we are, that's possible that the difficulties overseas will affect goods and services available to people here in the U.S. I get that. The stock market has dropped significantly and that will lead to real pain for many who depend on those retirement accounts. Consumer confidence, the opposite of anxiety, has a great effect on our financial systems. And we're not feeling real confident right now as a world. This world we live in is changing by the day. And if you're worried about that, no, you're not alone. We are in this together, people. Some that we know, some in our neighbors, some of our neighbors have lived without for a long time, and we don't all suffer the same. Jesus completes this story by quoting Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It was well known in the times that the cornerstone was this large stone that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It was used then to build around. That cornerstone would be a capstone or a corner of a building, like the temple even. What those religious rulers thought would happen would not come to pass. What Jesus has come to do doesn't fit in nice and neat with the systems of the day or their expectations. Those systems, like the tables in the temple that got overturned, would be overturned as well, one way or another. Expectations would be exceeded. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, remember. Three times he's told his disciples that he's going to be killed, and three days later will rise again. This is not the end of the story at all. Jesus goes on teaching, and the Pharisees and some loyal to Herod wanted to catch Jesus for inciting a revolt, so they asked him if they should pay taxes to Caesar. They try to get on his good side, say some nice things they don't really mean, and Jesus then asks them to produce a denarius, a coin. He didn't seem to have one. Notice that, right? Well, he didn't have pockets. He didn't carry the purse. That was someone else's job. Whose head is this and whose title is on the coin, he asks them. Well, it was the emperor's face that was on the coin. And it was well known that the Jews had a law against making images. Maybe they would debate if they could put a picture of a flower or a tree, but human images, definitely not. They would have their own coins. And this was the job of the money changers in the temple, to convert Roman coins into funds to be used to pay temple tax or for an offering. Also engraved on that same coin that Denarius was the title Son of God, High Priest. Oh, maybe they're not asking Jesus at all if it's okay to pay taxes to the empire. Maybe what they're really asking Jesus is who's the real Son of God? Who's the real High Priest? Who do you think you are? 
Notice Jesus doesn't tell them not to pay the tax. N.T. Wright notes that Jesus' answer echoes also a saying from the Maccabean revolt. If you've got Maccabees in your, uh, in your Bible, you've got what's called the Apocrypha in there. You could read more about this. Essentially, the, the battle cry of the time was, give those pagans what they deserve, meaning revenge. Jesus says something similar, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar seems to tell them if they participate in this system under the empire, they will get what they deserve too. Pay the tax. They will live and die by the rules of that system. They will suffer and succeed based on their loyalty to that system. But with God, with God there's another way. Give to God the things that are God's, he says to them. What belongs to God? Yes, all of it. Everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. When we are in the middle of massive changes, anxious times and uncertainty, when we are afraid and trying to figure things out, what do we need? What must we hold on to? What can we do? hard to make the right decisions or know which way is best and when we see our reality through a lens of scarcity we will never have enough we will hoard and fear and hurt others to get what we think we really need and will fall victim to the evil of the world be locked into systems of injustice whether we like it or not and when disease and disaster strike we'll only be as good as those things that we own if that's where we place our trust. In those difficult moments, though, if, if we could see the world just a little differently through a lens of generosity, through our common humanity, and with even just a little bit of faith in the power of the risen Jesus in our reality, then we get a glimpse of what it's like to live abundant life here and now. And live into the promise of new life that Jesus brings. This is the bottom line that Jesus came into our reality and upended the system of sin and death and fear and struggle. Jesus saw the wickedness that we inflicted on one another, our fear and greed and our hypocrisy and loved us still and died for the sake of this broken and beat up and sick world. As ones claimed in baptism, we are given this spirit that we might drop that mentality that says what's mine is mine and live for something other than ourselves. Be willing to give it all back to God, to care about the needs of those around us, to give our very lives that others would know the love and peace and healing in Jesus Christ. And right now, this abundant life looks like not shaking hands, flash a peace sign, or the, the Vulcan symbol, live long and prosper. That's what we want, right? Right now, this abundant life looks like an empty stadium. It looks like sending a meal to a neighbor who is alone or grieving. It looks like sharing what we have when others don't have enough. It looks like putting down the phone and logging off social media and turning off the news to play a game or chase a kid or teach someone something new. 
It looks like neighbors singing from balconies and exhausted nurses and doctors and friends who put aside differences to laugh and work together. This life we live is not ours in the first place. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Following Jesus looks like giving it all back to the ones God loves. Stay safe, church. Stay, stay clean. Stay healthy. And Christ be with you. Amen.